Leah, where have we reached you? Uh, I am hiding on the fourth floor of the D.C. District Courthouse during a lunch break in USB Google. Leah Nylon is a reporter for Bloomberg News who covers antitrust. She's also kind of my lawsuit buddy, the person who helps explain what it means when the government files a case against big tech, which has happened a lot lately with Google and Amazon and, yet again, Amazon. I mean, I feel like at this point, I have you on antitrust speed dial. Yeah, (laughs) I don't mind, you know. Leah was kind enough to take a break from one antitrust case to talk to us about another. The suit the Federal Trade Commission and 17 states filed this week against Amazon, saying the company broke the law in order to keep its monopoly position in e-commerce. Where does it stack up in the pantheon of big tech cases? I have been telling people that we can't call USV Google like the antitrust trial of the century anymore because now we have FTCV Amazon and that might, you know, displace it. <laughs> Would you say this is the case that Lena Khan has been waiting for? This is definitely the case that Lena Khan has been waiting for. She um, has been making the media rounds a little bit this week, which she doesn't do that often. Um, So, you know, it was a little bit special. Um, And talking a lot about why they think that this is like a really important landmark case for them to bring and how it's actually different from the paper that she sort of rose to fame after writing in 2017. Back in 2017, Lena Khan was just a law student writing in the Yale Law Journal about Amazon and antitrust. Now she's the chair of the FTC and the company is in her sights. Today on the show, FTC versus Amazon could change everything. How you and I shop, what the company does, even whether it gets to stay in one piece. I'm Lizzie O'Leary and you're listening to What Next TBD a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. The FTC's lawsuit is big and it's broad. The suit alleges that Amazon is a monopoly in two different but equally important ways. One of them is online marketplace services. So that is websites where... Uh, Third-party sellers, just about anyone, can go online and sell products. So that's going to be things like Amazon, things like Etsy, things like eBay, you know, like a site where you can go and sell your goods to other people. Um, The uh, FTC alleges that they have a very high share of that market and um, that they have illegally tied access to that marketplace with another of Amazon's services called Fulfilled by Amazon. This is the sort of logistics service that Amazon offers to sellers where they'll do the warehousing and all of the shipping and such for them for a fee. The other half of this suit centers around something called an online superstore. The fact that you can go to Amazon and get a pair of shoes, but also cleaning products and a book and, oh, wait, we need dog food, that kind of thing. It's much more convenient for you to do like one-stop shopping uh, than it is for you to have to go multiple places. Um, 
And, you know, this actually fits in with a long line of the FTC's cases. They have often argued that, you know, uh, one-stop shopping is important, for example, in a supermarket, right? Like you go to the supermarket because you want to buy your cereal and your milk and your vegetables, as opposed to just going to like the butcher where you can only get meat. So it's sort of like an interesting evolution of like the offline world to the online world that you might want one place online where you can get all this stuff. Um, and they say that, you know, by being the uh, online superstore, Amazon has had this ability to raise prices on consumers and sellers who want to be offered in the superstore. They had an interesting statistic that uh, one out of every $2 that sellers on the platform uh, make, they now pay to Amazon because they have to pay for a commission for being on the site. They have to pay for logistics um, and and shipping. They have to pay for advertising to even be found on Amazon's site. And so the fees that sellers have had to pay on Amazon have just increased a lot over time. That was something that struck me in in what Lena Khan had to say to reporters. It sounded like she was saying, this isn't just a monopoly in the way that it's bad for consumers, but it's also bad for the small businesses, the sellers, what have you, that are working with Amazon. Yeah, and that's a little bit of an evolution that she has brought to it too, because oftentimes the antitrust enforcers have focused very, very much on consumers. Like, does this raise consumer prices? Um And by bringing the sellers into it, they're saying, look, those are people who are also buying Amazon services. They're they're using Amazon's marketplace services. They're raising the prices to them, the sellers, who in turn sort of have to raise prices to consumers. So, you know, the the higher price for consumer is still the uh, end result. But we're now focusing sort of on how this uh, company's behavior has also increased prices to like the middlemen who are selling those products to us anyway. What does Amazon say to all this? Amazon, uh, unsurprisingly, does not think that this is a very good antitrust case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, they have argued that they only highlight on their website what is the lowest offer. So when you go to Amazon's website and pick a product, the thing that's going to be there on the buy box is whatever is the lowest price and that they shouldn't be required to highlight a higher price. So Amazon argues that, you know, their entire thing is about focusing on the customer. They want to offer consumers the lowest prices, and that's why they require um, that sellers not offer lower prices elsewhere. If you want to sell on Amazon, you have to offer the lowest price that you can, and uh, they're going to only, you know, show you the lowest price. What it is a slight nuance there is like Amazon's price includes the price of the product, the advertising, and the shipping. And that's all wrapped up into the one price that you see. What the sellers are saying is, yeah, but we might have been able to get the advertising and the shipping for cheaper elsewhere. That's why we can sell on these other sites. We're not paying all this extra money to Amazon. You know, listening to this, I mean, you are describing Amazon's business model. And LenaCon has not gone so far as to say, well, break it up. But why that? Kind of seems like that's the implication. Yeah, the as I said, she made a lot of public comments this week after the uh, case was filed, and she was very mum on what exactly they want to happen. So the complaint lays out a set of tactics that we believe are illegal and that are illegally elevating and inflating prices for the American people. So at the very least, uh, any relief would require that the company halt those tactics. But as I noted... Uh, effective relief also needs to be restoring competition to this market, uh, which we'll be asking the judge to do as well. 
So in the suit itself, it has this um, phrase down at the end. It says that they want structural relief, which in antitrust lingo means that they want to break up. But they won't say what exactly it is that they want broken Hmm. up. Is it that they want Amazon to sell off its logistics arm and just be a marketplace? Um, Is it that they think that, uh, you know, some of the things that Amazon offers that are not sort of core to the marketplace should be broken off? It's not very clear. Um, And so, you know, when people were asking her, well, what is it that, what is the remedy that you want here? And she's like, we want Amazon to stop using these illegal tactics, which, okay. (laughs) But, you know, answer the question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Antitrust um, enforcers love to say, yeah, well, we'll get to that down the road. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you sort of do have to have in mind when you bring a case what it is you want to change. Otherwise, you know, that that plays a lot into how you frame the case, obviously, because, you know, the judge is going to have to, at some point in time, decide how to remedy this illegal conduct. When we come back, who competes with Amazon? The store down the street or just the ones online? I really want to dig into this online marketplace question, because one of the central things here in this case is just how much of the market Amazon controls. And that seems to depend a lot on how you define the market. Can you unravel that for me a little bit? Yes, this is, you know, this is such an antitrust question. What is our market here? Because, um, you know, Amazon says, well, if you consider us uh, as just a retailer, we only have uh, like 1% of all retail. And I'm like, okay, but... (laughs) You are 1% of all retail because I can go down the street and buy shoes in person at the Nike store. But uh, you're actually an online-only seller. So if you think of them as as only online commerce, their share goes up even more. Um, I think they're about 30% of online sales in the U.S., but, you know, then as uh, I said, if you get into either this online superstore or uh, this online marketplace services, we're talking about an Amazon share that's much, much higher, maybe something in the 70s to 80s, which is, you know, sort of what we think of as a, as a monopoly. Under U.S. law, there's not actually a, a definition of what is a monopoly, but people generally think, you know, definitely above 50%, maybe it requires above 60%. So if we're talking something in the 70s to 80s, that's definitely in monopoly territory. But it seems to depend on how you define store, basically. Yes, it depends entirely on what, how you define a store and how you, whether you're limiting it to online, whether it's online and offline. Um, yeah, Amazon keeps pointing out, you know, when you go to a supermarket, nobody is upset that like the cereal company pays more to be on the end cap or, or you know, the specific eye level shelf. Um, that's sort of what we're doing. We're, we're giving people the opportunity to have advertising so that they get seen first by the consumer. The difference, of course, is if you're in a, a store, you can like go to the next aisle if you need to, to see the other types of cereal. You don't have to like scroll 15 pages. In one of your stories, you noted that, among other things, Amazon basically for, forbids sellers from offering lower prices on other sites. And the FTC says that hinders competition because it means that sellers would have to raise their prices on a different platform, say Walmart, um, so that they wouldn't get buried in, in search results. And I wonder, like, how does that part fit into this antitrust argument? Yeah, that's really interesting because this is actually what some of the state AGs had picked up on 
before the FTC. So a couple years ago, D.C.'s attorney general had sued Amazon, and then California's attorney general already has their own case against Amazon that's ongoing. And what they argued is um, Amazon has this uh, policy that you can't sell for lower prices elsewhere. You have to give whatever is your lowest price on Amazon. You know, it's their low price guarantee that you can't get it cheaper somewhere else. But the FTC says because it's adding on all of these additional fees, you know, the fee to sell on its platform, the fee for advertising, the fee for the logistics, that's making the price go up. And because people can't sell for cheaper elsewhere, it's raising the prices across the internet, not just Hmm. on Amazon. So um, we had some really interesting conversations with, you know, some retailers about how Amazon actually like monitors their prices elsewhere. And they get these alerts sometimes if their price is lower, even by as much as a nickel on another site. They'll get these alerts from Amazon being like, we found a lower price elsewhere. And so we're not going to give you the buy box anymore unless you adjust your prices down by a nickel. And oftentimes they can't, you know, they have to pay these fees on Amazon. That's the cheapest they can offer it there. So what they do is they go and they raise their price on the other website. And so therefore, the thinking goes, if you spin it out a bit, consumers lose because the prices go up kind of across the board. Yes, that's the whole idea. Like if they didn't have to pay all of these extra fees to Amazon, if they could go with the cheapest logistics option, the the cheapest advertising option, they could sell their products more cheaply. And, you know, maybe if it costs five cents less to do that on this other website, but because of Amazon, it costs five cents more and they're being penalized if Amazon finds out. If if the government wins and let's say the marketplace changes, do we have any idea about how this might impact consumers, people who shop on Amazon all the time? That was a question a lot of people ask FTC Chair Lena Khan. And, you know, she said, we think that this will lead to lower prices for consumers. Um, you know, they will be able to finally buy these products online for the cheapest price, not just under Amazon's low price guarantee, but because on these other websites, it might be cheaper. We'll sort of see, you know, a lot of retailers use Amazon because it is like, it's the online superstore where everybody goes, you know, to do their shopping. I mean, it's come up so much in this USV Google trial about how many people start their searches for products on Amazon versus back in the day, you might've gone to Google first. Hmm. Um, You know, so it is certainly a gateway to a lot of commerce. You're sort of also raising the question of like how the public is going to think about this. And presumably Amazon is also thinking and maybe capitalizing on fears of losing same day delivery or the ease of putting six different kinds of things in your cart and clicking on them. And I, I wonder, like, do we have any sense of what people think about this? Yeah, that was interesting because I think most of the the like negative reactions slash negative questions that the FTC got about this were like people fearing that like the convenience provided by Amazon might have to go away because it is really convenient to be able to buy, you know, something and know that it'll be there two days later. It is super convenient to be able to go to one place and get your groceries and your electronics and maybe, you know, even throw in some extra hair bands or something. Right, some diapers, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, people don't want that to go away. And, you know... Lena Khan said, you know, we don't want that to go away either. Amazon has a great business. It's very convenient for consumers. But what we don't want them to do is engage in these illegal tactics that make it harder for other businesses to compete with them. 
Every time I talk to you about one of these big cases, whether it was the Google case or or this Amazon case, we bring back the ghost of U.S. v. Microsoft. And, and, you know, Bill Gates was sort of famously combative during that entire process. What are we expecting from Amazon in terms of tactics here? Is this all softly, softly, or are they coming out swinging? I think Amazon is much more likely to come out swinging. I mean, they have always been very aggressive, both in their media strategy and in their legal strategy on antitrust. Um, You know, uh, the Europeans have recently implemented some new legislation that allows them to designate companies as gatekeepers that have special responsibilities in the market um, to not preference their own products, things like that. Um, Amazon is challenging its designation as a gatekeeper in Europe. You know, within minutes of this uh, lawsuit being filed, Amazon said that they thought it was wrong on the facts in the law and they intend to vigorously contest it. So I think we will see, you know, uh, a lot of... Uh, heat and litigation uh, over the next couple years. The one interesting thing that Lena Khan did say is that they feel the urgency of this. Um, you know, their investigation went on for four years. It's not really new, any of the things that they were alleging with Amazon. They said they want to move this quickly. Of course, quickly in antitrust world is like, maybe we'll have a trial in two years, not <laughs> tomorrow. So... <laughs> The FTC, for for all of Lena Khan's clearly muscular stance toward these tech companies, does not have the greatest track record lately in its legal cases. And I, I wonder, like, what's the mindset for the agency going into this case? Yeah, this was another thing that came up in in sort of the conversations over the past two days, because as you mentioned, the FTC has lost two of the big cases that they brought this year. One was against Microsoft over the Activision deal, and the other one was involving Meta Platforms over its acquisition of a um, virtual reality startup. And both of those cases were mergers. Mergers tend to move a lot faster. So like the FTC brought suit and then had to go to court, you know, only a couple months later. Um, as I mentioned here, they've been investigating for four years. They have, you know, obviously sort of plotted out their legal strategy. But, um, you know, this kind of a case takes a lot of resources, a lot of money. They will have to hire experts who are going to sit there debating about the exact definition of the market. Um, and it will be, you know, a slog to win, uh, a long slog. Because as I mentioned, these cases do not happen. Quick and antitrust is like this case might be done in five years. (laughs) Um, So that was a question that a lot of people had for Lena Khan, like, what if you don't win here? Um, And, you know, her point and like the one that has been raised by Jonathan Cantor, the head of the antitrust division right now, is that... At the Justice Department. Yeah, he uh, is sort of the head antitrust enforcer at the Justice Department is, one, you lose 100% of the shots you don't take. Um, And two, you know, like... Even when we don't win, we can move the law a little bit. So, you know, the FTC likes to point out that even though they didn't win on that case involving Meta, they sort of were able to revive this idea about a big incumbent buying up a nascent company and how that can be a problem. And, you know, so if, you know, even if they don't win, they could also push for greater legislation in Congress, which didn't bring or didn't actually end up uh, passing new legislation last year, but those efforts haven't died completely. So if it turns out that the FTC can't win against Amazon, that seems like a a pretty good argument that we need to change the law. 
I was curious whether the fact that fewer states have have joined onto this suit than the DOJ's antitrust case against Google or, you know, an earlier case against Meta, like, does does that tell you anything or is that just politics? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, one, you know, as I mentioned, this is a long-running case. Um, and so in both of the other ones, the Google case and the Facebook case, the states were involved the whole time. Like they had been bringing their own investigations and then they filed their own suits sort of alongside the Justice Department and the FTC. Um, In this case, you know, the FTC had been investigating for four years. And in that time period, we already had a couple other states bring their own suits. As I mentioned, California has one pending. DC brought one, it was dismissed and is now on appeal. So, um, you know, the states had been looking at this issue even before the FTC got around to it, is one point. The other is, yeah, Amazon is a little bit different than Google and Facebook, who I guess if you're going to like point fingers at the most hated of the tech giants, those would be the two. Um, There is the entire like convenience factor of Amazon. There's also the factor that like Amazon is the largest U.S. employer. So all of these states probably have a big presence of Amazon in their state. You know, there are probably a lot of people who work at their warehouses and they may, you know, be less inclined to sue them for being a monopolist in a way that might hurt their state economy. Lena Khan, as you and I have discussed before, wrote a very famous paper about Amazon and antitrust when she was in law school. And so there's this part of me that's wondering, like, she has wanted this for so long. It's hard to imagine that the FTC did not cross every T, dot every I to get this case as watertight as possible. Yeah, a lot of people said... um, that this is why it took so long. You know, the uh, hmm. case was going on for four years, the investigation. Um, you know, it was pretty much done last year, but then it took them sort of another, let's see, we're in September. So another nine months to finally f- file the case because they were sort of honing all of their arguments, deciding exactly what they wanted to say and getting state partners on board. Because somebody, as somebody put it to me, this case is going to be written about on Lena Khan's tombstone. So you can bet that she wants to make sure that it is absolutely airtight. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if if this is going to be your legacy, you want to make sure it's a good one. Maybe I'm spinning too far ahead into the future, but if the FTC and DOJ lose their big cases against Google and Amazon. Is that the last chance for consumer regulation against big tech? Is it all eyes on Congress? Like, how how pivotal are these cases? I think for the U.S., these are pretty important. You know, Congress was considering legislation last year, and it didn't happen. Unlike in some other places in the world, as I mentioned, in Europe, there uh, was some pretty major legislation overhauling the way that they look at uh, digital markets. Same in the U.K., And same, you know, a little bit in South Korea and Japan. Um, A lot of countries are rethinking their relationship with the tech giants. Um, We haven't as much here, you know, land of the free market. Um, Congress couldn't sort of get its act together. In fairness, Congress can't even fund the federal government right now. So, um. (laughs) So, you know, they've got some stuff going on. They have some other things going on, but um, that's why I think a lot of people are sort of pinning their hopes on the courts. You know, this is the the one avenue that is is 
the biggest, clearest shot at big tech. And so if the Justice Department and the FTC can't win, you know, we're going to have to rethink things. Maybe there will be another big legislative push to change the law so that antitrust enforcers here have, um, you know, a better chance. Um, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of these tech giants are going to have to be changing a, a bunch of the things that they do for Europe. And I, I wonder, it has been a big question, you know, if they're going to change it for Europe, are they going to change it everywhere? Because it's sort of annoying for them to have to do business in, in multiple countries in different ways. So That's sort of what they did around privacy regulations. Yeah, but then that is what we see with privacy. You know, like in Europe, they do things one way. Here, they do things another way. Leah Nyland, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I'm sure the next time something happens with big tech and antitrust, we'll just call you up again. (laughs) Happy to talk about it anytime. Leah Nyland covers antitrust for Bloomberg. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, you should join Slate Plus. It's the best way to support us. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode and one on Sunday, a bonus episode to get you ready for Sam Bankman-Fried's trial, which starts next week. All right, I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 